Isaiah 53, we, uh, we saw Jesus, uh, the description of Jesus and what the work he was going to do on the cross. It's really booming. Um, then we got into chapter 54. We saw, uh, we talked about, Isaiah was talking about how one day Israel would be restored. Then we got into chapter 55, and, and he talked about this invitation that was going to go out to the whole world. And last week, we also, in chapter 55, we went ahead and covered the first eight verses of chapter 56, because, um, you know, the chapter breaks aren't always where the, the thought ends, and, uh, and so, basically, the, in last week's message, we saw how, um, you know, there was this reminder that, you know, we're in this together, we're better together, um, you know, quit looking for ways to cut people out of your life, it's one of the things you stressing, um, and then he talked about how, you know, you need to rest in me, and pray, and, and talk to me, and my house is, is a house of prayer, I want you to be talking to me, is what God was saying through Isaiah to his people, and so that brings us, we're going to pick up in verse 9 this week, uh, where the focus changes from that, that invitation to now he's kind of going to denounce people who won't accept the invitation. Uh, before we get into all of it, let's go ahead and ask God to help us understand it. We'll go to him and pray. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us the opportunity again to gather together uh, and we can have access to your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, you help us understand it and through that we uh, understand you better. Lord, we know that uh, mo- much of what was written here for those upon whom the end of the age has come. And we believe that that is us, that we're living uh, very near the end. And so we just pray that uh, we would take uh, some truth from your word and be able to uh, go out and live it out in our community. And Lord, that it would just continue to make changes in our own lives and in the hearts of others. So, so we pray for your blessing on the message and pray it in Jesus. Okay, so Isaiah 56, verse 9. It says, All you beasts of the field, all you beasts in the forest, come to eat. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute. Or, I actually, I like the King James better here. because all of them are dumb. All of them are dumb dogs, unable to bark. Uh, dreamers lying down who love to Isaiah, he's, he's shifted his attention, right? Up, up until this point, he's been saying, come, everybody come. Uh, and then he says, but you dumb animals, you beasts. And he, you know, he's talking about the, the leadership of his time and also, I think, of our time. He, God's saying, look, my watchmen, the people who are supposed to be up on the tower watching out and protecting you, they're not, they've dropped the ball. They're not doing their job at protecting my flock. You know, the guard dogs are mute. The guard dogs are, aren't barking, right? They're not doing their job. The guy in the watchtower is blind. They're sleeping on the job, he says. Verse 11, he says, And the dogs are greedy. They're not satisfied. And they're shepherds. Uh, and they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain, to the last one. 
Come, they say, let us get wine, and let us drink heavily of strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. So, you know, that's a message that we've seen uh, on Sundays, you know, we just finished that study of First and Second Peter, and uh, we saw Peter warning a lot about um, bad shepherds, you know, bad teachers, and, and that sort of thing. And Isaiah, it was a concern in his time, you know, that people who should be helping others to grow and be healthy instead are in it for the wrong reasons or are, are actually hurting people. Because a good shepherd, he, he says, is, is supposed to you know feed and warn the flock, right? The, the guy in the watchtower has a job, not just to be up high, but to, to look out for what's coming. Um, and so they're supposed to feed and warn the flock. So if I, you know, for me, if I feed you but don't warn you, I'm just fattening you up for the kill, right? If, if all we do is, is get puffed up full of knowledge but never actually talk about what's coming, then we're, we're not, and we don't get out and, and, and apply anything, uh, we're just being fattened up for the kill. And then, and then the inverse, if I, you know, if the shepherd warns you but doesn't feed you, then you're too weak to... You know, to stand up to what's coming. And so Isaiah, remember, he is, is at its core, this is a prophetic book. He's, he's warning of dangers to come. And uh, in order to stand up to those dangers, you've got to be fed, but also warned, you know, to be prepared. So I was reading that, and I was uh, kind of thinking about Paul, you know, because we're, now we're in First Corinthians on Sunday. I was reminded of a story of uh, in Acts chapter 20. We're going to go there. This is, uh, you remember in 1 Corinthians, he, he, re- he writes his letter from Ephesus. And in Acts 20, we see him leaving Ephesus, probably getting ready to go to Corinth. In Acts 20, verse 28, he, he's talking to the, the church there, and he says, Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away uh, the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He says, you know, remember that like, I, I wept over this with you. Uh, he, and he goes on to say that, you know, you all, you saw me. Like, you know that I, I, uh, I wasn't in it for the money. Uh, you saw me work with my own hands. You know, I walked what I talked, basically. And so he prays with them, and then you see the, the, the crowd, they actually weep to see him go. And uh, the leaders Isaiah is describing are like the, the opposite of that. The leaders Isaiah is describing um, are the ones that Paul is wanting about here, too. You know, they're greedy, they're in it for themselves. Uh, more money, more fame, more, more notoriety, living by the flesh. 
Um, so we go back to Isaiah, pick up in 57, verse 1. He says, The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. Basically, you know, the only way someone can escape the evil to come, the thing that, remember the last, gosh, eight chapters or so, Isaiah's been describing about, you know, the, the Messiah's going to come, we're going to kill him, and then he's going to come back. God's going to pour out His wrath on an evil and unbelieving world. And here, He says that the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away, He says. And no one understands. The righteous, devout people are going to be taken away and no one will understand. Uh, you, you could take that a few ways. I think uh, in the word there in the Hebrew says that the that these uh, the righteous devout men are gathered, right? taken away. That word is actually gathered. Probably, I think this is an allusion to the uh, to the rapture. Right? That's, uh, we believe that uh, Christ is going to rapture His church out of the world, and the world's going to look around and be like, "What was that? Right? Where did all the Christians go?" But I think when we're gone, yeah, they won't understand, but for the most part, they'll kind of be glad. Be glad that we're gone. Because right? we make things inconvenient for the world. He goes on, he talks about how uh, uh, let's see, a righteous man perishes and no one takes it to heart. People don't understand. You know, when a good person or a young person dies, we question it. You know, like, the, it was, it was ter- too early, they were too young, they had so much to live for, whatever the case may be. Uh, and it's, it's right and, and normal to have questions about that. But uh, the Bible tells us that, you know, if they believe in Jesus, that they also are spared this evil that is to come, right? This time of of judgment that is to come. Uh, where they are, they would not leave to come back to. You know, if they trusted Jesus, they're with Him. And so they've, uh, they've actually been spared this time of judgment that He's talking about. We'll read on there. Verse 2, it says, He enters into peace. Right, this this uh, righteous person that is taken away. They rest in their bed, each one who walks in his upright way. But come here, you sons of a sorceress. So he, he shifted gears, right? He says this, these righteous people, they, they either are gathered to the Lord or they lay down on their bed, they go to sleep, and then they are just with the Lord. Now for you, you sons of a sorceress. <laughs> a great way to address somebody. Offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. Against whom do you jest? Against whom do you open wide your mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion, offspring of deceit? Who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you're mocking and sticking your tongue out? What little kids do, right? What little uh, toddlers they stick out their tongue when you know when they're mad or being naughty or whatever. But it's it's kind of what the world does to to, to God. Right? They mock him. He says that uh, he calls them sons of source of a sorcerer. You know the world still um, then and now glorifies sorcery. That word in the Hebrew it means to, you know, to obfuscate or to enchant or to cloud over things that confuse. In the Greek, whenever that word is used, sorcery, it's, it's the word we get. Uh, it's pharmacia, it's where we get pharmaceuticals, drugs. For the most part, sorcery was making potions. You know, those, those spells were here's something that'll make you feel different, right? and will. It will uh, cloud your thoughts and cloud your mind. And so we're still big fans of that today. Right? Um, and he talks about how they're offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. People are still willing to, to sell their bodies one way or another. I think especially, you know, these... Um, he calls them children of rebellion. It, it's scary how many... young celebrities or influential people who fit this description, right? That they've got drug problems and kind of thumb their nose at, at, at God and, and uh, willing to, you know, show their bodies and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's strange how many of them were actually raised in Christian homes and have rejected their faith. Name a bunch of names, but you know, basically, if they were a Disney kid, they're probably there's a good chance they would fall into this category. Um, so, you know, he's describing people that uh, that <clears throat> try to cloud over the truth, make things hard to understand, willing to, to sell their bodies and mocking God. Verse five, he says, "Who inflame yourselves among the oaks under every." luxuriant tree who slaughter the children in the ravines under the cleft of the crag. Alright, so that one verse can be confusing if you're not familiar with the, the history uh, of that part of the world at the time, but uh, inflame yourself among the oaks. This is, you know, there were trees and groves where they would uh, groves of trees where they would go to um, worship certain pagan gods and it involved orgies and that kind of thing.
your firstborn child to me. Your next child will be that same child. I'll reincarnate and he'll come back to you. But it, in the process, you, by sacrificing your child, I'm going to uh, guarantee you financial prosperity. You'll be blessed financially. And that was going on in this year. To hear that, and it's it's hard to hear. It's hard to talk about. It's, it's a gross thing. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. But we still have it going on today. Um, we teach young people that uh, you know, you got pregnant. You're not ready for that. Right? Wait until you can afford a child. So you abort this one, and the next one will be your first. As a father of six kids, I can tell you, you will never afford your child. No, that's not. If you're waiting for that, that ain't going to happen. Um, but it's the same lie, right? It's, you can't afford it. Uh, you'll be better off financially. So just give that, give that one back. Verse six. He says, "Among the smooth stones of the ravine is your portion." They are your lot. Even to them you have poured out a drink offering. You have made a grain offering. Shall I relent concerning these things? He says, these smooth stones that you, you pulled out of the creek to make your idols out of, uh, your shiny things, that's your inheritance. That's your portion. That's what you have to show for, uh, for life. You know, for many of us, that's... that's uh, where we put our time, right, is in to the, the, the shiny stuff. And that's really kind of all we have to show for our time. He says, shall I relent? Should I take it lightly that uh, that you take me lightly, is what he's saying. You know, am I supposed to ignore that? Verse 7, he says, upon a high and lofty mountain, you have made your bed, and you also went up there to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost, you have set up your sign. Indeed, far removed from me, you have uncovered yourself and have gone up and made your bed wide. And you've made an agreement for yourself with them. You've loved their bed and you've looked on their manhood. Basically, he's saying, you've cheated on me. Right? He says, you know, basically... What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I guess, right? That's how that's how we think, how the world thinks. Sometimes we uh, we have conversations with people about um, uh, sinful behavior, and, and people can get offended easily. And I get it. Nobody likes to be called out. Nobody likes to uh, have the focus put on them. You know, we'll hear, well, whatever, you know, what goes on behind closed doors is none of your business. And that's fair enough. Um, but he, here he says, behind the door and the doorpost, you set up your sign. You, uh, basically, they've, this stuff just wasn't happening just out there, right? It's coming home with them. Um, they brought it home with them. They, they actually hung up pictures of their idols and, uh, and, and, the pagan influence was everywhere. And that's 
that's something to be aware of. You know, you can't uh, you can't uh, play with sin and it not follow you home. You know? um, we all uh, have our, our secret thoughts and, and double parts of our lives or whatever. That stuff catches up and, uh, and follows you home. But th- he uses some language here that would have been more understandable to his audience than maybe today when he's talking about behind the door and the doorpost. This is, um, I think, a reference to in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, it says this, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And basically, he, he was saying, like, it, it should be the love of God that is written, uh, not just in your heart, but it's, it's in your home, it's, it's not just an hour a week. It's the love of God is uh, a part of how you work and how you parent and how you are, you know, a, as with your friends. All of that. God says, I, "I want to be on the front of your thoughts, not in the back of your mind." And He says, "His people, Israel, you've, you've expanded your bed. You've made room for every." conceivable way to cheat on me and they've driven me out of your home. I'm no longer on your doorpost. Isaiah 57 verse 9 says, You have journeyed to the king with oil and increased your perfume. You have sent your envoys a great distance and made them go down to Sheol. You were tired out by the length of your road, yet you did not say it is hopeless. You found renewed strength, therefore you did not think. He says, look, you've, you've gone out of your way to keep doing what you're doing. And you're tired. But that, for some reason, doesn't stop you. You didn't say it's hopeless, this thing that's wearing me down. Uh, you just kept going, therefore you did not think. Keep chasing the dragon. Right? It's, uh, uh, it's, if you've uh, had problems with drugs, you understand that maybe better than some than others. Right? You keep chasing it, even though it's what's killing you. And he says, "You're weary. Your life is exhausting." Right? Is, is the terminology he's using? But you won't change the thing that's exhausting you. saying, and if you want to keep getting what you're getting, keep doing what you're doing. The Doritos are so good. Verse 11. Of whom were you worried and fearful when you, when you lied and did not remember me, nor give me a thought? Was I not silent even for a long time, so you did not fear me? You know, God 
speaking to his people. He says, I've been quiet. I've patiently waited for you to come back to me. You know, I don't, I'm not forcing myself on you. Verse 12, I, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit. Just don't take my patience to mean that I don't notice or that I don't care. Right? If you want to live by the world's standards, then okay, I'll, we'll grade you on that. I'll declare all of your works in righteousness, and it won't do you any good. On the day you stand before me, we'll have a look at all your works, and I bet they won't cut it. Well, we know they won't. Romans, uh, Paul talks about that in Romans, that, um, you know, that even judge, you know, those people that say, well, God can't judge me or whatever, you know, um, even judged by their own standards, they fall short, right? Even the, the standards we set for ourselves, we still buy. Right? You ever, uh, you, you probably have rules at home that you enforce for everyone else, but you kind of get a, get a pass, right? Or am I the am I the only I'm the only hypocrite in here? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we all have those things that you know when basically my sin looks really bad on you. you know, when you do the the thing that I do, it's awful, and, and you know I'm going to judge you for it. When I do it, I expect grace and mercy in a path. And, and we all do that. We all judge people for their sins. Because our, you know, it, it looks worse on them than it does on us, so we think. Verse 13, he says, When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry all of them up, and a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and will possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowliest spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Such cool imagery there. He says, I, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also those that are in the lowest. And I'm both high and holy, and I'm with you when you are at your lowest. I'm not in all the stuff that you celebrate with your idols and on your screens. Uh, I'm both above it and, and also with the humble, those who recognize who and what they are. Remember that story in the New Testament when Jesus describing the two different types of people that, that go to the temple one is like, you know, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy, you know, and the other one says, have mercy on me, a lowly sinner, and Jesus says, that's the one that left justified, that's the one that left uh, with the right heart. Verse 16, says, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of those whom I have made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry and struck him. I hid my face and was angry, and he went on turning away in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, 
but I will heal him, and I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. This is he, that man with the contrite heart. I saw every wicked thing he did. But this guy turned to me, and I won't turn him away. He said, Lord, I, I, that's that song we sing, Lord, I need you every hour, I need you. My, my one defense, uh, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. That's actually kind of a, a paraphrase of one of the first songs we see in the Bible. It's, it's sang by the people of Israel. When they part of the when they crossed the Red Sea, Exodus 15. We're going to read a few verses of it, longer than this section. But says, then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. Right? They're, they're talking about Pharaoh and his army and how the, the sea swallowed them up. Verse two: The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him, my Father's God. And I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And you know, they were saying, look, he's, this is my king. Right? He's, he's not just an abstract idea. He is Lord. He's got full authority in us. Every hour. Isaiah 57, verse 18, he says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourning. Creating the praise of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Uh, there's an old little play on words. If you have it up there, yeah. No God, no peace. But no, with a K, no God, no, no peace. This is that the wicked are like the tossing sea. It's, uh, we all know people whose lives are just always in chaos. Right? And there's no peace, no rest for the wicked. Uh, I've been there. And basically, I think he's, he's kind of come full circle to this thought that he started back in chapter 55. And we'll close it out with this. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Behold. Remember that word? That that means check it, right? Check it out. Listen, listen to this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully. And eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
everlasting covenant. I'm going to make a deal. Everything else is temporary. Your life is up and down. It's like tossing of the sea. But come to me. I'm going to make an everlasting deal. One that doesn't change according to the faithful mercy shown to David. I'm reminded of that another old song. Uh, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Listen, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe your week has been fantastic and you've had no uh, ups and downs. But if you have, uh, if, if this week's been a little crazy or this month or whatever, even if you already know Jesus as your Savior, the invitation is still there. Come to me. Come back to me. Come listen to me. Come reason with me. Come, come to the source. And I'll give you peace. Thank you. God, we thank you again that uh, you've made that invitation over and over throughout your word and throughout history. And over and over you deliver. So I would pray tonight that uh, anyone who's struggling, who's um, going through trials, they, they're uneasy, they have, they're down, whatever it is, they would just pray that uh, you would comfort as only you can. That we, we're just coming to you as, as the fountain of living water. And refresh our faith. And for anyone that doesn't know you yet, we pray that they would accept that invitation that you sent out. That the work has been done and they can come and finally find peace and rest in you. So we pray uh, your blessing on the church and your people. I'm sure you come and come quickly. And everyone says,